So one of my favorite books growing up was a colorfully illustrated book by Irma Joyce called Never Talk to Strangers. I would crawl up on my mother's lap as she read it to me, and it went something like this. If you are hanging from a trapeze and up creeps a camel with bony knees, remember this rule, if you please, never talk to strangers. If you are shopping in a store and a spotted leopard leaps through the door, don't ask him what he's shopping for, never talk to strangers. If the doorbell rings and standing there is a grouchy, grumbling grizzly bear, shut the door, your mother won't care, never talk to strangers. And so began the mixed instruction that most of us who have been brought up in the church receive starting at a very young age. On the one hand, there's this acknowledgement that we live in a difficult and dangerous world. And so we need to be cautious, to be shrewd, to have keen perception and sharp intellect. And yet, on the other hand, we are told these stories of Jesus dining at the homes of sinners like Zacchaeus, someone he met in the branches of a tree. We grow up hearing about Jesus calling fishermen to come and follow him, and they do follow this complete stranger, leaving behind everything they know and love. We're commanded to sell our possessions and to give them to people we don't know. And we're taught that the kingdom of heaven is like having a party where anyone on the street is welcomed in with open arms. From a very early age, we experience and become all too comfortable with the separation of rules into the rules of the world and the rules of the kingdom of heaven. And we live with one foot in each category. I suspect that Jesus' disciples experienced that same dissonance when it came to today's gospel reading. Over the past few Sundays in our gospel readings, we've seen the people gathered around Jesus go from these large crowds to Pharisees and scribes, and now to just the disciples. And today we hear what has come to be known as the parable of the dishonest manager. A rich man has a manager who is charged with squandering his master's property. Knowing that he will lose his job, the manager is faced with the reality of his situation. He's not strong enough to dig, and he's too ashamed to beg for money. So the answer to his dilemma ingratiate himself to others so that he has homes to which he can go, places to eat, and people to take him in when all of his money runs out. So he calls those who owe his master money, and they come to him one at a time, and the manager forgives a large portion of each of their debts. And the master actually commends the manager for acting shrewdly. Then Jesus says the words that leave us baffled. Make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. When we look back at all that Jesus has said the past few weeks about searching for lost sheep and giving up all your possessions to follow him, this parable seems incredibly out of place, almost as if Jesus is referring to an entirely different set of rules. Frankly, even the author of the Gospel of Luke seems to be uncomfortable with what Jesus says because he ends this section with three different possible meanings of this parable. One, the children of light should learn from the children of this age how to act shrewdly and with prudence. Two, make friends and ingratiate yourself by means of dishonest wealth or by using the tools of this world. Three, Be faithful in earthly treasures so that you will be entrusted with heavenly treasures as well. 
And the attempts to understand this parable don't stop with Luke. They continue to this day as preachers all over the world this morning are trying to make sense of this story. So maybe this parable really is about money. Sure, money is seen by Luke throughout his gospel as a problem. It's a temptation. But even though earthly wealth is fleeting and dangerous, as those living in this world, Christians need to be financially savvy and knowledgeable. After all, isn't part of being a good steward knowing how to protect and grow assets? Or maybe this parable is really about what it's like to be living in the end age and knowing how to respond quickly in such dangerous, changing, precarious times. Hasn't Jesus already told the disciples to know how to read the times? Aren't they supposed to be as wise as serpents? Or maybe this parable reminds us that we need to be culturally relevant. Let's face it, we may not like the way some things in this world work, but this is what we have to work with, and so we might as well make the best of it and use it to further the kingdom. On I-35 north of Austin, Texas, there used to be this church with this huge banner that hung over the front doors. And the banner said, 30-minute worship service. (laughs) It's a good thing you guys don't live close to that. Um, (laughs) People are busy in this day and time, and clearly this church has recognized that fact and is functioning within the parameters they've been given. But truth be told, none of these interpretations of the parable of the dishonest manager sit well with my soul. Instead, I keep going back to a sermon I heard on videotape several years ago. It was a sermon by the famous preacher Eugene Lowry. He said that the only way to really understand this parable is to examine it in light of the parables that come before it. Jesus, at this point in Luke, has just finished telling three very beautiful parables that speak of God's extravagant abundance when it comes to finding what is lost. A sheep owner loses one of his sheep. He leaves the 99 other sheep in the wilderness and goes out to look for the one that is lost. And when he finds it, he calls together all his friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me. And it's a party. A woman loses one of ten silver coins and searches high and low throughout the whole house, sweeping until she finds it. When she does, she calls together all her friends and says, Rejoice with me, and she throws a party. A man has two sons, and the younger son asks his father for the part of his inheritance that is due to him early. When he receives it, the son travels to a distant country and squanders it in wild living. A famine hits the land, and the son winds up hungry and working as a hired hand feeding pigs. One day he comes to his senses and decides to go back home and trust himself to the mercy of his father. Maybe my father will hire me as a worker on his farm, he thinks, and such a fate would be far better than where he finds himself now. So he comes home, and what he finds is a reception far greater than he ever imagined. The father says to his workers, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And there is one huge party. 
A rich man has a manager who is charged with squandering his master's property. Knowing that he will lose his job, the manager is faced with the reality of his situation. He's not strong enough to dig, and he's too ashamed to beg for money. So he calls those who owe his master money to come to him one at a time, and he forgives a large portion of each of their debts. And the master commends the manager for acting shrewdly. No economy of abundance, no extravagant love, no lost but now is found, and no party. I think we find in this parable a subtle reminder. There may be times when we live by the rules of our culture, when we opt for a zone of security and isolation instead of for an open embrace, when we tuck money away instead of sharing it with those who are hungry and sick and homeless. Maybe we consider that shrewd and prudent. Maybe we consider it necessary at some level. But I think we need to be clear that it's not the gospel. Just last week, 13 people died in the shooting rampage at the U.S. Navy Yard in Washington, D.C. We live in a country where 11,000 people are murdered by guns each year, where 19,000 people commit suicide with guns each year, and where 78,000 people are injured by guns each year on top of those other figures. And we're in a national debate over whether or not we need more guns in order to protect ourselves from gun violence. Is arming ourselves to the hilt shrewd? Is arming ourselves to the hilt tragic but necessary? I don't know. But I do know that it's not the gospel. There's no celebration here. There's no party. Instead, this is what the gospel looks like. It's like a shepherd who is willing to spend as long as it takes to search for that one missing sheep. And pushing aside all possible allegations of foolishness, he throws a party. The gospel is a woman who sweeps the floor for hours on end looking for the one silver coin she's lost. And when she finds it, she throws a huge party that may cost as much or even more as what the coin is worth. The gospel is a father who knows that he's been disrespected and has suffered humiliation and pain, and yet when his lost son makes his way home, that father throws pride and social norms out the window and instead pours out an extravagant love that makes no sense according to the rules of this world. The gospel is like a host that upon throwing a banquet tells his servant to go out into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame so that they may all eat and be filled. And there is one huge party. There is nothing shrewd about the gospel. It is extravagant, sometimes wasteful, always full of grace, and as the voices of our culture tell us, it is risky. And that's exactly why we need a community in order to live it out. We can bear the risk of radical hospitality, extravagant love, prophetic witness, and all sorts of gospel foolishness together in ways that we could never bear it alone, individually. And then together, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the gospel becomes a party.